0: I was doing was wrong even in the early days we'd be like beating somebody up for no reason other than the color of their skin or we thought they were gay or I was just drunk and there were times that I was hitting someone where I'm just like what the hell are you doing like this is horrible
1: did you ever talk to people in your camp about that that you would feel that way like why are we so there was some do you think there were other people in your camp that probably felt that way but weren't bold enough to say it
0: I know it Wow. I know it. A big theme was like race war was inevitable.
1: They still talk about that. Oh, convention. absolutely. It's absolutely. The way. And that's why what you do is
0: so amazing because you are like the antidote to everything they're trying to kick off. <laughs> cool. Like there, there's nothing that white supremacists love more than like a good riot.
1: guy speaking right behind a (laughs) former white supremacist and and skinhead Um, talk about that yeah like how how you got started there, and then uh, of course we'll get into your transition out of that but I I think the key point that we can make for people watching this video is that change is real absolutely it happens you know and I mean, just thinking about how crazy it is for guys like you and myself to be sitting here in this room right, right. And having this type of a discussion where I'm sure, I don't know how many years ago, um, to tell either of us to have this type of discussion <laughs> would be like, no way. Man. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's
0: amazing how time changes that. And Absolutely. I, to share a stage with you is just so amazing because I, I what you do, like that's the, that kind of courage is what changed my life.
1: Wow, thank like,
0: you. That changed the course of my life. Thank you and today i it's all I want to do is cultivate that same thing yeah. in society, so what you're doing like you're doing the mission that I want to do
1: wow thank
0: you um it's It's a really powerful thing
1: thank you i I got mixed
0: up in white supremacy groups because I was a suffering kid um, i I do workshops now and I, I actually it's a daily tool for me just to think hurt people, hurt people absolutely. And it, I was working with some middle school kids once, and they were like, but Arnold, not all hurt people hurt people. And I'm like, ooh, that's important. Yeah. Like, that that's really important, because most people don't. Like, most of us have a healthy way to process suffering. Mm. But if we don't, that's when it gets transferred to other people. Yeah. And you know, I wasn't like suffering miserably as a child, but my, my dad was an alcoholic. His drinking made his relationship with my mom really rough. My mom was super stressed out all the time. She was suffering, and her suffering made me suffer. And rather than be a good kid and be like, hey, mom, I love you. How can I help? Like, I just distanced myself from her. I distanced myself from my dad. And my, my dad loved me more than anything.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, he had a
0: disease he, he was struggling with.
1: And how old were you around the time that you started to distance yourself from your mom at that time? Probably the
0: little kid. Wow. Like I I, I was a bully on the school bus in like kindergarten. Whoa. So yeah. So
1: you recognize that <laughs> dated back that far? Oh yeah, wow. yeah.
0: I, I was um I was like an adrenaline junkie from day one. Got it. I was like this insane little baby that my parents like bring to the doctor, like, what's wrong with this kid? Yeah. And the doctor, fortunately, Usually the doctors now tragically are like, oh, let's medicate that kid into oblivion. Mm-hmm. My doctor is like, he's a gifted genius. Right. Like let him run amok and be a gifted genius. And that's kind of how I grew up. I started to get a kick out of lashing out mm-hmm. and causing trouble at school. And I got a rush from it. And like any other kind of substance abuse, what gets you off that first time, 10 times later isn't enough. You yeah. got to keep escalating.
1: But so the consequences didn't concern you during that time either, or was that part of the rush? Uh, the consequences um, are part of the rush. Really? Oh, yeah. So, like, like getting sent to the office or oh, all yeah. of the threats that come with that. Totally. And, like, it's just part of the that's process. That's what I'm trying
0: to provoke. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. That's the crazy. more suspended, expelled, like, that's what I'm going for. Wow. I didn't get expelled ever, but I was, like, trying for that the entire time.
1: <laughs> what? i well, never it, heard it, that, that ever.
0: That's, it, that's an interesting thing, too. Like, uh, looking at my life, I never got expelled. I was never incarcerated.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, a lot of that had to do with dumb luck. A lot of it had to do because people liked me, despite of how how I was acting. But a lot of it had to do with the color of my skin. Wow! Like Kids of color who act like I do don't get the breaks that I got.
1: They would have been expelled. And that's crazy to hear that come from from you knowing your past. Yeah, yeah. For you to even be aware of that. Now, were you aware of that at that time, or is that something that just over time you started to realize, hey, wait, I got some breaks from those same sort of things. Right.
0: Wow. I, I wasn't aware of it at the time. Uh, I, it really didn't sink in on me until uh, I started working with kids in the inner city in Milwaukee in 2010 after I came public with my story. And I saw these, so many kids I sit there and talk to them and I'm like, dude, does everybody ask you like how, how such a smart kid is acting like this? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, cause that's what they asked me too. Yeah. Like I see myself in these kids, but they did not get the breaks that I got. Wow. And so it, today it's important to me to not only like help get those kids those breaks, but let everybody know that, that that's how our society is and that's something we all need to work on.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, transitioning from being the, the playground bully or the school bus bully to um, – eventually taking it further on into uh hate groups how did that how did you transition into that and do you think that that's a path that a lot of bullies take that they go from bullying people in school to joining various hate groups and i know and that can be any um different race or or, um, background for anyone you know whether it's a latino kid that joins a gang or a black kid that joins a gang or you know Uh, That's a great
0: observation. I I work in counter-violent extremism now, so I work with a lot of formers like myself who are former jihadists, former street gang members, former left-wing militants, former Antifa. And everybody's got the same story. It's always the same factors. For me, it was just kind of a logical progression. I got this habit. The habit is lashing out. I need to create havoc to get stimulation. I'm already this kid who needs to get stimulation by pissing people off. Mm -hmm. And now you had like, Rampant alcohol abuse to it to
1: a young kid exactly yeah, 14.
0: Yeah, 14. So as a 14 year old I was always looking for the next way to piss people off like how can I repulse people? How can I? Make people terrified of me and, and for a while. I found that in the punk scene like I still love punk I, I never want to make it sound like punk is some kind of gateway drug to yeah. become a white power skinhead <laughs> But wow. if you talk to ten former white power skinheads, like eight of them at least will say, Yeah, they <laughs> went through the punk, punk scene. <laughs> right. And to me, like back in the late right. 80s, like having a mohawk pissed people off. It's kind of played out now. Yeah. Like
1: It's the cool thing. Exactly. Yeah. Like ball players
0: got it, do the chocolate chip cookie commercial yeah. got a mohawk. Back then though, it'd get you in a fight, mm-hmm. like walking down the street. People wow. were like, What's what up with that haircut? Like jocks want to fight you, and like that's why I had that haircut. Wow. If you think a mohawk pisses people off, try a swastika. Swastikas really pissed people off. Of course, and I wasn't like ignorant as to why. I, I, had, I knew about the Holocaust, but I was just like willfully, like whatever. You know, that, I'm not even gonna think about that. Like, I was blown out of proportion, and now I'm setting myself up for like I'm ripe to become a Holocaust denier, just to serve my habit. The other huge part of any kind of violent extremist narrative is that the person adopting it has to feel a sense of persecution. You have to feel a sense like you are the one who is oppressed. And if you look at any any violent extremist narrative, it always stems from this, my in-group is oppressed by that out-group, and we need to fight back with everything we got, and, and everything's on the table, and that's how urgent it is. Yeah. So when you walk around the city with a swastika and people attack you, you spin this like, I'm oppressed. Mm. I can't even I can't even walk around with the symbol of my people on my shirt without being attacked. It, 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 I'm, I wasn't any less like intelligent back then, but I, I'm like doing all these mental gymnastics to believe these ridiculous things. Wow. And and you, you put in enough alcohol, which I never want to use as an excuse yeah. ever. That's not an excuse for anybody to do anything. But you you figure the environment. Uh, you're an angry adrenaline addicted, lashing out 16 year old, you're familiar with hate, you're familiar with violence, and then you hear a white power skinhead band telling you that you're a warrior for your people fighting against this Jewish conspiracy to wipe us out by bringing in all these non-white people, and as ridiculous as it sounds for me to say that now, back then it was literally music to my ears. Wow! I was just like yeah, yeah, like this is a rush and this really pisses people off, like this is now I've found like the the panacea of, of lashing out that I've always been looking for.
1: Yeah. And do you think that there there are people today that are still influenced by some of the music that you heard back then? Or do you think now it's stories being passed down from one group to another? Like where do you think is, is the biggest place that it's funneling from?
0: That's a great question, and I think it's it's all the same thought process. It's all the same like nonsense information. You're taking shreds of truth and then spinning these entire ideologies out of them. Today, because of social media, I think the the pathogen is much more like memes and and fake news stories and the comments section. Yeah. Um, I think music is it's music will always be something that moves people. But when I got involved in this, this is like pre internet. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm like, so I'll listen to channel. a bootleg tape of some British skinhead band that, that's also like hard to get. Yeah, like you can't even you can't get this at a punk record store. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, this, that makes it all the more forbidden fruit. Yeah. Um, nowadays the music is very easy to get, and they, people share it on on YouTube. People share it on Facebook, and it's still like it, it's a way to practice. That ideology and kind of like drill it into your head every time you listen to this music. And you're like, yeah, I love this music. This is awesome. This is my people. This is what I'm for. And, and it's
1: still just hate. Absolutely. Hate, hate, absolutely. Hate, hate. In yeah. that
0: sense, it's that's still happening, but I think the the nature of like memes and social media has kind of taken that to another level. Okay. Right. But it's
1: very true. I mean, the, the way that people are consuming information, to yeah. it, a lot of it's coming through their, their mobile devices. Absolutely. And, and so they're picking this up really quickly and it's I guess almost brewing that hate in their minds to go and, and do these things. How far has that hate taken you?
0: By the time I was 21, uh, my best friend I started the gang with went to prison for shooting a kid that came into a drive-by in her house. Um, another really close friend of mine was shot and killed in a street fight just uh, two years earlier when I was 19. Um, when I was 21 I met a really hot skinhead girl i about as close as you can be. Believe it or not, yeah, there, there were skinhead girls that had this really like, ridiculous looking hairdo. Even yeah. back then, I didn't like it. Yeah. It's like if, if the hair's all long here but shaved all around the rest of the head, some girls could pull it off. Right. My girl did. She actually had normal hair when I met her, but she was like an OG skinhead girl from Chicago. Got it. And uh, she looked like Scarlett Johansson. So I was just like, whoa, I'm all about this. And um,
1: But she's a skinhead.
0: <laughs> oh, she had grown her hair out by okay. the time I met her. But that that's my girlfriend before that was like this kind of like athletic college girl with like a normal college girl haircut and yeah. we lived with a bunch of skinhead girls. Every time I went to work, she's like, I'm gonna get that I'm like, You are not cutting your hair like that. <laughs> I came over from work one day and she had hair so. I'm like oh. I was never into that, but it, it's that's part of the deal. Yeah, Like, the the whole skinhead look was very much like it kind of identifying you as your pack. And the big thing about skinheads, and this is, it's around today in various kind of flavors, but not like it was back then. Back then as skinheads, we were like, our uniform is the color of our skin. Mm. And our shaved heads and our jackets and our boots, and like, that's how we went to work every day. That's how we that's went true. to the store. Like, everywhere we went, people knew what we were about. And that was like one of our, our calling cards. That was one of our points of pride. That was one of the reasons why I had a lot of disdain for the Ku Klux Klan. I'm like, you know, you, you just walk around like your normal Joe Bob White guy. Hiding it. Exactly. I think the fact that the Klan does hide behind those masks makes them more dangerous because mm-hmm. you don't know if that cop's in the clan. You don't right. know if that person's in the clan. And, and I I say it with all due love and respect for police forces, but that's the whole idea behind the hoods, is they don't, you don't know who that is. Yeah. But
1: um, as you're, you're blowing my mind by the way with a lot of the <laughs> stuff that you're talking <laughs> right about. Because like your your um, experiences, it seems like it has really opened your eyes to a lot of things, right. you know, and you lived it, and the color of your skin makes that even more real for you to be able to say, look, those guys behind the Klan, they're cowards. They're hiding behind this mask and then going through day-to-day life like everything is okay, but they have so much hate behind them. And, you know, it's its almost strange to say. I I can have more respect for someone who, if you wanna wear your your hate and wear it on the outside, so at least I know, okay, I'm gonna stay away from this guy. Exactly, I know what's up. I know what's up, I see your haircut, I see your tattoos. If you wanna put a swastika on yourself, that lets me know when he comes through my hood, I'm (laughs) crossing the street, (laughs) I don't want that problem, right? (laughs) Right. Or or vice versa, but someone who is secretly walking down the street and smiling at you like everything is all good, but behind, they really wanna hang you from a tree, that's sad to know that. You know, and I it wish is. more people, whether it's love or hate, whatever it is, wear it on the outside so that people know how to address it and how to address you. I'm totally with it,
0: and, and I, it's, it's, I agree. It's, it's ironic that like that's all we as skinheads viewed, are in the midst of our broader group of like violent racists, like that we were apart from the rest of them because of that wow. idea.
1: Um, So you guys felt like you were the better racists? Oh, we always
0: did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was (laughs) funny because we we were all a bunch of kids. Yeah. And when we, like, showed up and started causing all kinds of problems in town and spray-painting swastikas all over the place and getting newspaper stories about us, all these, like, old-school neo-Nazis start crawling out from under their rocks. Mm. And they were just, like, being Joe White guy for a while, and they're coming, like, yeah, we really love what you guys are doing. And they come out at first, like, they're going to, like, they think they're Hitler and wear their brown shirts or something, yeah. and guys who, who acted like that, we beat them up. <laughs> we were like, "No, you—we're in charge here. We're yeah. taking over this. You're not—you're not, you're not going to come swooping in here and pretend like we're somehow your subordinate." Mm-hmm. Whether it was like our group, even we fought each other mm-hmm. as much as we fought anybody else, or our group fighting the Klan, or our group fighting this neo-Nazi group, and and every time, sometimes there'd be big rallies and we all get together and we feel real powerful because there's more warm bodies there. Mm-hmm. But even there, we're like, "Yeah, let's clan. Yeah, those SS guys. There were guys who like dressed up like Hogan's heroes, like with the whole SS get up and the boots and all I that. And like were just... <laughs> <Steve>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. It's crazy. It's yeah, it, there was it, it wasn't the most functional group of people. But we'd still talk about how great our race was and how we're threatened by everybody else. And the idea was to get all the other white people on board. The more you can like now we can band together and maybe go have our own little country somewhere, or you know we'll fight and take things over. A big theme was like race war was inevitable.
1: They still talk about that. Oh, absolutely, it's absolutely, the
0: way. and that's why what you do is so amazing because you are like the antidote to everything they're trying to kick off. <laughs> cool. Like there, there's nothing that white supremacists love more than like a good riot, that regardless of of like how justified, it, it, I I don't feel that like violence is ever justified. There's never an excuse for violence there's always a reason. At the same time though I understand now working with people in inner city studying history like Dr. King said riots are the language of the unheard and when people don't listen to you and the suffering builds and the pressure builds, like that kind of stuff happens. And you can't blame people after going what they've gone through to reaching that point where the frustration is just overload and there's nothing you can do but start breaking shit. Yeah. Like I, I I understand that now. But when that happens, the white supremacists of the world, whether they're like outright neo-Nazis and you can tell looking at them, whether there's some guy who h- hides behind a hood or whether there's just some guy who likes to... Share anti Black Lives Matter memes on Facebook, like it's all of them are just like, for them. Yeah. Bravo, Bravo. That's that, that to them like justifies all of their ideology. Yeah. And then that to me, that's like my, to, that's the most heartbreaking thing about it, is that I I, I don't want to justify their ideology. I, I want to try to get people to bear witness to each other's suffering, and to do that, you have to do it outside of that ideology.
1: Yeah. So when did the change happen in your heart? Like when did that transition take place? I By
0: 1994 I was looking for an excuse to leave. I had been involved for seven years at that point. I was exhausted. The exhausting exhaustion came from all sorts of angles. I was exhausted to cut myself off from the rest of society. When you think like that you can't just like take all the information that you get because The majority of it contradicts your ideology, so you have to like willfully block this stuff out. That's exhausting. Um, It was exhausting. I knew what I was doing was wrong, even in the early days. We'd be like beating somebody up for no reason other than the color of their skin, or we thought they were gay, or I was just drunk.
1: And there were times that I was
0: hitting someone where I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is
1: horrible. Did you ever talk to people in your camp about that, that you would feel that way? Never. Like, why are we... So there was some. Do you think there were other people in your camp that probably felt that way, but weren't bold enough to say I, it? I know it. Wow.
0: I know it. there was a time. I talk about this in my book. There was a time when a kid that we brought into this, and this kid was like trying to outdo us. He came to us late one night. we were sitting in his attic drinking, and he was wasted, and he's laughing hysterically, and he's he's gleefully telling us about he slashed. A homeless black man in the face with a straight razor. And he, he's just beside himself with laughter and he's making fun of this guy like he's howling as he's trying to hold his face together. And me and the other older guys in there were just like appalled as we're hearing this. And we'd done a lot of horrible things, we'd never done that. And and the whole time I'm thinking like, this guy did this to impress you.
1: Why do you think that disgusted you at that point when when he brought that up?
0: I just, I, I just thought in my mind, I'm like, that's, that's just fucked up. Like, how could you do that to somebody? Yeah. And, 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 it, I, and I'm thinking, I know damn well, like, I took this kid, and I would get him wasted every night, and I'd blast loud power music, and I'd tell him we're at war. There is no such thing as a f- fair fight when you're in war. Like, don't you ever be in a fair fight. If they got knives, you bring guns. If there's ten of them, there's twenty of us. Like, you wow. don't ever want to be in a fair fight. You don't like bring the rhetoric and the urgency up that high and then when they take it farther be like whoa 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 not not that far yeah. like once you let that monster out there's no bringing it back yeah. like I we created this monster and and that kid actually got beat up that night because we we had told him like not to go out and do that stuff because we were worried about us getting arrested because of his stupid stuff. But as, after he left, like, me and three of the other older guys were just sitting there, like, in silence for, like, five minutes. And I, that whole five minutes, I was thinking, like, this is yeah. so messed up. Yeah. Like, and th- that was maybe, like, 92-ish, um, 93 maybe. Mm-hmm. So this is, like, I'm almost at my wit's end now. Like, and that's I still can't... a
1: bad period in, in this country, too. Oh, know, absolutely. We had just come off of the 92 riots exactly. in L.A. What city were you living in? I at? was in that's Milwaukee. In Milwaukee. But we were watching
0: that on TV, and there was always, of course, we didn't give a rat's ass about the beating that Rodney King got. But when the the white truck driver gets pulled out of his truck and, and beaten, then we're like, oh, yeah. now we're all up in arms, yeah. and, and and white supremacists worldwide just dialed in on that and go, because oh of my the god, the Denny this. beating, yeah, exactly, yeah, wow. yeah, and yeah. it, it completely like completely disconnected from the the cycle of suffering yeah. that caused that.
1: You know what's crazy is that when I saw the Reginald be- Denny beating happen. And I'm living in South Central Los Angeles at that time, literally watching these military-style vehicles going up and down our street, looking outside the the window as all of this has taken place. And they pulled him out of the truck in walking distance from from where I lived, almost literally like a block away from on the intersection. And all I can think of is, you mean to tell me there's no good person in this community Mm. that can go out there and help that man? Mm. or to stop all of these riots. And this is coming from a black kid living in the city in South Central Los Angeles. Right. Didn't really have a lot of white friends at that time. Most of my friends were either black or, or Latino. Mm. Um, during that period, kids that were living in the shelter with me. And even still, I'm like, that's not okay. Mm. We have to, and I'm a kid at this point. How you know, old were so, you? Let's see, 1991, uh, what would I have been? Maybe, I was probably 10, 11 years old around yeah. this time. 10, it must have been terrifying. Right? Yeah. yeah, because we're watching everything burn down around us. Right. And as this 10 or 11 year old kid, all I can think of is someone needs to stop this it's, mm. or it's going to get way out of control. You know, and I didn't even know for like now 20 years goes by because I, I had stopped watching um, the, the feed of what was going on around the riots because I could literally just see it right, right. out the yeah. my window. Yeah. I didn't find out until 25 years later, last year, um, the History Channel brought me in to kind of talk about my experiences there and, and what I do now as a peace activist. And it was the first time I had known that there was actually a guy, there was a black dude who was watching it on the news just like me and said, I'm not okay with this, hopped in the car, drove down to that intersection, picked up that man put him in his car, drove him to the hospital, despite risking all of these other people that were in the riots that wanted to kill him. And I'm like, not only would I have been that man, but I wish that story would have been pushed out more right. in the media? Why did right. I have to wait twenty five years to know that there was a good Samaritan that stepped up and, and did the right thing? I'm sure you probably didn't even know that. Oh, I, I didn't at all. They're not gonna promote it. You know, and that's that's the change that we need in the Absolutely. world is the people like that 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 step up and say, That's not okay. Right. And I'm gonna do something about it. Despite the fact that there was people there in the community that could have Stoned that the black man for coming down there to pick up that guy. He didn't care about the color of his skin, he just saw a human being yanked out of a truck and they were gonna kill him, you know. And so, just look at the different vantage points that we both. We're looking at this same scenario. You were probably older than me at that time. I'm yeah, an 11 year old kid. Wow. You know how old were you in 91, 92? Uh,
0: 91, I was 20.
1: 20, 92, see? 92, I was 21. So, yeah. so you're looking at it like they yanked that man out of the truck. It's like the war is starting now, oh, exactly, right? Exactly. And I'm looking at it as they yanked that man out of the truck that's an opportunity for someone to go in and bridge the gap and show how we love each other despite all of the hate and i didn't find out until 25 years later that someone did it you know and it's just like we need more of that in the world absolutely you know we need more of these types of conversations so that the kid that is is watching this and maybe he's choosing your previous
0: path right
1: that he'll see that don't wait all of those years to get to this point where we can sit down at at a table and talk about how we can be better human beings towards one another let's just start doing it now let's start loving one another now and just showing the respect for for each other as as human beings even if you still had a swastika on you and i don't know (laughs) if you do or you don't that wouldn't stop me from from just seeing you as as my brother as a fellow human being someone that i want to see do well in life, you know, because I know that the, the change that you're able to create with your message, you're able to reach people that I can't reach.
0: And vice you know, versa.
1: Vice versa, yeah. you know, and so the more of us that really step up to try to spread more love into the world, I think we're going to do a lot more work together, man. I know I we know, are, bro. <laughs> right? This is the beginning. So, so, yes, this is the beginning. Definitely. definitely. And, and, and
0: everything you had to say is like, that, that's what changed the course of my life. That's what put me in a position to help other people heal. I, I talk about Pardeep Kalika. His father was murdered by a guy from my old gang. Meeting Pardeep and sharing my story with him and helping him understand the suffering behind his father's murder and everybody else's murder, helped Pardeep to put himself in a position to truly defy hate and violence yeah. by by initiating healing in the world, by by following in your footsteps and doing what you do, yeah. like that. That's that's how powerful just a simple act of kindness can be. And, and also, it's like people talk about resistance and defiance and all that stuff you defy P, you defy hate and violence. you're not defying it when you reflect it yeah. like that that man who rescued Reginald Denny like that guy defied all the narrative that me and my boys were trying to yeah. cultivate yeah. that guy like proved us all completely wrong absolutely and then I'm, I'm totally with you man let's cultivate that in society absolutely My man. I love you, bro.
1: You are such a hero to me. We're going to do so much more work. I appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you.